The following ideas the expressed opinions of the hosts and guests and do not reflect investment advice or recommendations of any kind. All funny jokes or just jokes, so don't get it twisted. And we are live. Back at you live from MIA, Miami. Braden, you were just telling me about this house you're about to buy in Miami. What's it look like? In Miami? Uh, or you said Florida. Looks like, probably looks like a stripper like everything else in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> If Did a house looks like a stripper, it belongs in Miami. That's that's the. <laughs> <laughs> There's this uh, tweet or list of tweets of like businesses that totally got demolished following the crypto winter Ocean. that occurred, and especially in Miami, of all these clubs opened up in 2021, and. They got super popular. They were charging crazy prices and they were getting those crazy prices for food, drinks, you name it. And they were packed. And then 2022 hits and then they all just get exploded. And they were like pictures of the club being full and crazy. And it's like 11 p.m. on a Saturday night, 2021 versus 2022 in Miami. And Dead. like three people yeah completely dead mm -hmm. so man if you're into you know clubbing and restaurants and you're in the miami's area i just feel for you so sorry so Life sorry your clubs aren't as full as they used to be that is so sad i'm so I'm sorry that 19 year old that you illegally let in can't buy yeah. definitely not into that if I, I don't think i could ever live in miami man like i hate well, you already know this, you know, and we'll, we'll put it out there for the pod to know. I hate live music. Uh, yeah. I hate loud music. And I actually, let's, let's put it, I'm going to generalize it as much as possible. I hate loud places. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get on planes. <laughs> uh, that, that's it. So uh, Miami feels loud to me. Uh, just, just, when I think of when I think of the city, I just think of high decibels, uh, and it makes me it makes me nauseous. So uh, we'll never live there. Probably will never visit there um, unless I absolutely have to. So mm. a little bit about Braden. I also don't like Vegas, uh, but I go a lot. I will, you know, I've been a lot for whatever. Yeah, your gambling addiction. That um, we can about. Of course, of course, gambling addiction. Of course, um, <laughs> and it's also not fun uh yeah vegas sucks yeah yeah i do not like it um i'm short, I'm short vegas is that a good call <laughs> yeah no that that is let's let's start getting into that so if we're gonna you know buy or sell cities that's actually a really good idea that may get into real estate investment advice which none of this is investment advice anyway yeah you listen to the beginning of this podcast episode but Jumping into things with the Fed that made a super great. Oh, I fun thought we were about to go long cities and short cities. Okay, hold on. Before we jump, before we jump, I need to know what city you're bullish on. Give me, give me a city you're bullish on. All right, so I'm going to attack this like I do with my investment philosophy and strategy. Anyway, finding assets that I believe are undervalued. Okay, and then I think I would go in buy that current asset. 
this may come as a shocker, but I really think Salt Lake City Ooh. is an extremely undervalued asset. Bullish. Now, prices in terms of like real estate, some other things, especially Park City, 30 minutes away. It may not be, oh, that is that a good call? But I think the overall Salt Lake City by itself is going to be booming mm. 15, 20 years. Mm. I Calling that one. Your uh, call. What are you bullish on? Great. I, uh, I think that's a good one. I th- that's, a, that's not one I would have thought of. Um, I am going to say, well, first off, let's knock off the obvious. We're in Austin. I'm bullish Austin, obviously. I think Austin yeah. real estate is great. And, and, and if we're talking long-term bullish, bro, buy a house in Austin now because it's going to be beachfront property in 100 years. Right when all the oceans rise and we're all underwater, <laughs> Austin, Austin's beachfront, bro. It's it's beautiful. So very bullish long term. Um, that being said, man, I think that this one's going to be uh, kind of random. Give me a minute. I need to get the exact city. Uh, uh, yeah. Paris, Texas. Um. Dude, where is it? No, it is in the middle of. Shoot, it was going to be really Brooklyn. Cool, but I did it on the fly. We're doing this on the fly, everybody. In case you're wondering, um, middle of Kansas. I'm going to say like Wichita, Kansas, and here's why. Here's why. It is the center point for all package distribution across the country, right? If you want to have a distribution center, you put it in middle America because it is equal distance and equal time to the East coast, West coast, South, North. Um, I think that we've had great times being on the coast. The coasts are going to go away and mid America, dude, I'm bullish mid America because people are just going to realize the efficiency of it for logistics companies are. And when companies do jobs go with it. So. Interesting. Why? Why Wichita, Kansas over Kansas City? Uh, Kansas City might be one. Uh, I said Wichita Kansas City is popping. It, it could be Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri, or Kansas City, Kansas. My other buy. Same thing. KC. But I'm going to go bullish there. I'm bullish there. I think that all of the middle of America is going to end you up. You can. I just bought up every share of Kansas City. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So <laughs> uh, I just think. Beat you by a second. Wake up to the logistical, uh, the logistical process of it. So maybe Omaha. Maybe I'm bullish Omaha. Maybe I'm with Buffett. It's those deep value plays. Could be. It's those deep value plays. Very short New York City. Very short LA. Um, yeah. You know what? I, I, I'm bullish on another one. You might hate this one. Or you might love it. Nashville. Oh, I was going to say Nashville is my number two. Very bullish Nashville. <laughs> you can't keep saying <laughs> after I say it. Like, oh yeah, I was gonna say that one too. Yeah, like, that's, on, fair. that's fair. That's fair. I wasn't gonna say I wasn't gonna say Salt Lake City. Wouldn't have thought of it. Nashville, I did think about though, and Memphis. Gotcha. the The reason I bring uh, these up is I feel cities that have a phenomenal airport system already, with tons of flights going in and out. Will like always Atlanta. be. Mm-hmm. I'm like Atlanta's already there. I I put Atlanta on like fairly LA, valued. New York, kind of fairly, yeah, fairly like, valued maybe. Yeah, I think they're overvalued potentially, like with those. Um, You're short. Overinflated. Atlanta. No, I'm not short Atlanta. It's just like 
I'm not going to buy it. It's not something I'm going to buy. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm trying to do a value play, I don't think it's undervalued. Yeah. Right now. Dude, we're such geographic experts. Look at us go. Look at us go. All right. So here's the next uh, 50 minutes going over all 50 state capitals by memory. Ready? Anyway, just kidding. Here's what the Fed said. Just kidding. (laughs) The Fed yesterday on Wednesday, good grief. They did exactly what I thought they would. And I actually saw a tweet from a day trader and he called it 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning too, where it was like, hey, it's going to be flat all day. S&P 500, where he was trading SPY or something. And then it's going to get really rocky leading up to the Fed minutes, go down maybe a little bit. And he was right, it did. And then it's going to shoot upwards because they're going to say 25 bips or 0.25% interest rate hike, which that happened. And the market shot up because it was what was expected. And then freaking Jerome just kept talking and everything that he said <laughs> everything down almost 2% from that peak of the day all the way down. And this guy, he literally tweeted it. So I don't know if you can't hack and like input it, but his chart compared to like what actually happened with the day was just spot on. And then he posted something and he's like, yeah, I made 80 grand <laughs> just trading this. And I mean, there you go. He was he was on and everyone kind of knew it was happening and people that have a ton of money and day trade and get to it, good grief. Well like when it can be gone in a flash, you miss it immediately and then it's poof. But yeah, yeah, you can you can turn a big profit. I I hate something uh, like that. You know, when I hear those, I just think of Wizziati. You know the Wizziati fallacy? Oh, is that a rapper? No. It's what you see is all there is. Wizziati. It should be a rapper. It's from um, uh, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Have you ever heard of that book? It's a very popular like psychology book. Daniel Kahneman, um, who's a big dog and like and like mental, uh, like just like human taking advantage of like, yeah, he's won a couple of Nobel prizes. He's like actually really popular. Um, nice. He's won one Nobel prize. A um, couple of guys. Yeah. But he, uh, yeah, it's all about like how to take advantage of like human, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like uh, cognitive biases and mishaps. And one of them is the Wizziati, which is what you see is all there is. And it's really funny when it comes to like data, like these guys, like this day trader, um, because things like that blow up, dude. Everybody sees that and they're like, oh my gosh, he's such a genius. Oh, wow. And it's the same thing we talked about, about how to like blow up on a pod. It's like all it takes is one to blow up and everybody ignores every other call that he's made throughout. Like he's like, oh, tomorrow's going to be like this. And he's just like yeah. off. Um, and all it takes is one, dude. It takes one. And then the whizzy yeah. brains breaks in. Um, but good for him. Good for him for a win. It was interesting. I did expect volatility. Can I just can I just riff for a bit about how much I hate options? Um, no, this is a podcast. You're not supposed to talk or riff. <laughs> Here's a quick riff, man, of just, and, and there was not a lot of money on this, so I'm not really that pissed about it, but it just, it just really grinds my gears a lot. Um, so, so, and this is just the nature of the market now. Everybody trades options instead of trading stocks and good for them. They think that being leveraged is fun, um, right? I think I told you this. Everybody knew volatility was coming. 
Uh, I went ahead and bought some options on a double leveraged volatility ETF. It was, I, it lost money the whole day, right? Secreted money because it was a time value of the option kind of thing. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you saw what happened at the end of the day, exploded in value. I was like, oh yeah, hell yeah, cool. Uh, and as I do with options, I was like, well, I'm gonna just wait a little bit longer uh, and see what happens, right? This, this expired today, this option expired today. I was like, yeah, I'm not gonna get out of that. I'll just wait and see what happens. Um, so we wake up today and the market's ripping. And it's ripping. That option is now down like 75%. It's basically worthless. Mm. And so we get around noon. It's literally worth nothing. And I'm just like, okay, whatever. Uh, I'll close it out, save my 10 bucks or whatever uh, per contract. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, fine, whatever. Then end of the day comes, things go wacky. And, you know, I could have made some change uh, if I held on to it. And that, my friend, is the beast of options. If I just bought the ETF like I do whenever I'm actually doing, like, serious investments. Uh, sure. I just would have made money. Like, it just would have happened. Uh, but instead, yeah. the options make me act like an idiot. They literally make me act stupid. Um, and so, God, options are the worst. And I think a lot of people are the same. Way. Well. All right, so let's get it. You're going to hate this part. I got into, I think I shared this with you, into the world of investing and trading because my grandfather used to completely destroy, yeah, destroy mm-hmm. me with all sorts of work out at his place. Every summer, I would build fences, dig trenches, and then one day, he was like, hey, we're going to be inside. It's thunderstorms outside. You got to help me by hand write in all these trades and record whatever into spreadsheets on a piece of paper. And he taught me option trading. And his whole thing, this dude, he made buckets. Now, he lost a lot too, but he this made so never sell, Never sell it before the expiry? Uh, no, not necessarily. He would go to this website. I got to remember what it is. And it was more of a website that just said, oh, this is a good stock right now. Or this is not a good stock right now. And he's like, hey, we look at this. And if it's like two thumbs up, <laughs> literally, it was like a cartoon character. Was yeah, it green? Yeah. So, so, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember, man. It was it's like 06 or 05 or something. Yeah, it was old. And then we did that. And... He's like, great. Then we go look at Thinkorswim and then we see the price of the options. We see what we want to do. Do we want to buy a call or do we want to sell a put or do we want to take the opposite action? You know, sell a call, buy a put. Um, And then he would teach me everything about tracking up and down. And he's like, here's where we want to get in. And once we hit this game, we're always out. Yeah. Cool. No, you're exit. Super impressionable at the time. Had no idea what roulette or 21 was, but very similar (laughs) strategies by like legit professional gamblers. Yep. And that's kind of why he did it because he's like, oh, I understand the game and I can make a ton. Um, But like I said, he also got his shirt ripped off a few times, but, you know, ended positive to be fair. So he did that. And then that's where I've always learned about options where it's like, hey, if you're just like, 
if you lose a certain amount, you're done no matter what. It hits that limit, pull it or set the limit yourself. If it hits a high, you set the limit yourself there. You pull that too. So that's, that's my only thing of like, I feel your pain because I've, I've been on that same side too. But, it's, it's, um, and you know, it's like, it's all about like an investor's, and this is good to talk about on the pod, right? Because everybody's portfolio, if they're managing their own money, it's all about your investor's appetite. And I have an appetite, you know it. It's about buy a company that I really think is valuable and hold on to it until, I mean, I, I really try to not sell. Um, I have things mm-hmm. that have been there for, for almost two years. Um, but um, like, for some reason, sometimes I just get in this mode where I'm like, okay, this is an obvious play. Why don't I go try and, you know, do what other guys do and on these obvious plays and yeah. anytime I do it. It's like, it's not my, it's not my, it's not, it's not my temperament. It's not my sure. uh, philosophy and I get burned almost every time. Um, so it sucks, but there are, yeah. Well, I mean, grandpa was a guy that that was his temperament. He did. He it, dug it. It's an itch that I scratch that I love and I do it in a way that is totally safe. And uh, the, there's this thing called paper money by Think or Swim, TD Ameritrade. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, have you done it? Yeah, I've done paper trading before. Okay. Yeah. So you could set it up and do swim, but I've done it. I've done paper trading before. Yeah. But essentially, you get $100,000 fake and you just get to like play. Yeah. But I've done it and they set you up with like 60 days and I'll just like recreate an account and just keep playing with it. Um, because I, I know, oh, I'm learning and I follow stuff and it just helps me. I think I don't want to say get smarter, but it just helps me observe more. It's just more yeah. data. Right. And I love it because it keeps me just glued to spy, which is what I, I like to watch. And Dude, over the last 60 days, I do this thing where I'm like, okay, if I were to just play minimum, what do I do? 200 trade every single day to see where I can go. Um, I got it up to four grand. So, yeah, if I was actually, you know, smart and using my real money and there was emotion <laughs> and maybe some, you know, ah, oh, man, I got to get out. Oh, I'm scared feeling. God, that's definitely the- not, definitely not going to be four grand. But I just built the system and I'm like, oh, I do this. And then I get out when it's here. You know, I lose a little bit off the top, but I try to let those ride as high as I can. But I always have like the floor. I'm like, out, out. There's such a, I mean, here's the problem to me, man. And and I, there's there's a theoretically accurate way to play that game. Um, and what's even better is people now, people who used to play it, it was all emotion. Like, like. When money's involved, emotion exists. And you see all these guys that are like, oh, yeah. system, get the emotion out of it. And it's like, yeah, all of the biggest shops in the world that are like quantitative funds, that's exactly what they're doing. It's exactly what they're doing. They've learned to take the emotion completely out of it by just programming that that system into a computer, which is great. And it would be awesome to do. Yeah. But, um, and there's actually, so are you familiar with like the, uh, I can't think of the name somebody's equation that is the theoretical actual amount you should bet on every hand of poker based on what you have and what the odds of the table are. Oh, yes. We have the table. Um, 
I can't remember uh, what's his name. But people do that for options trading. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And I will never be able to do it because I I, I guess I could promotional. But yeah. when money's there, it's like, nah, I'd rather just do something that I'm very confident that is going to continue to exist and be okay. And maybe make less. Who knows if you make less or not. Confidence itself, I, I even slam as an emotion. Like if you're confident in like this and whatever, if you just pull it out and that's everybody's little well, stick to your, you know, structure, your strategy, you stick to that, you know exactly what you need to do and not. it does work. And technically, yeah, if you're paper trading, paper money, like it's a great system on paper trading this is what i learned personally from paper trading it's a great system and you can do a lot with it and make it look really good and then as soon as you turn it on with real money you're like oh oh man (laughs) i felt bad oh man why you watch it more paper trading you don't watch as much you know like you just kind of let the rules play out and do it you you watch it and when you watch it there there is a definite skill component and skill comes from data and you observe a ton and you're just married to it and you get it but the i mean good grief so much luck 80 90 100 luck really on a ton of just even like especially day trading right and that's just kind of where you have to count things and put it together and if you're a guy that does really well at it, you can be patient. You do it over years. Then after three years of doing it, you have enough cash if you're good at it to then start posting about the cash. And then you buy a bunch of cars, you post about those cars, and then you start selling courses. And then that's literally all that you do. Yeah. And then you have so much capital coming in from that that you just transition it into your account. And it's like, you can bet Look how much 1%. So much fun. Yeah, you put $8 million into a trading account. And if you go up 1%, 80 grand. Yep. They take a picture of it. There you go. Yeah. And people, you never show how much is in the total account. You just say like, oh, here's today's gains. Mm -hmm. Boom. And people are like, this guy made 80 grand. Never post your losses. Never. I would love to. Yeah. They do. There, there are a lot of guys that that um, oh, do. Well, the that like show off their YOLO calls, and they're like, "Oh, look how much I lost in my YOLO." No, calls. yeah, yeah. But I, I'm saying, like, I got into day trading Twitter, and there's a lot that, yeah, they never Every post day losses, they and they suck. But there's there's guys that are like pretty hardcore, and they've been doing it for years and years. And so I'm like, okay, they've they've got a track record. They post. They they've got some losses. But their system is pretty good, too, because their losses are constrained. It's never an 80K loss. They may have, like, you know, if that's, like, the size of the account that, or the wins that they normally yeah. post or whatever, and they'll usually be losing 15, yep. right? But then the next day, they can pull off 20. But a lot of people that I see, it's not, it's not that much, right? Like, that's a ton of money. But a lot of people I see are like, oh, they go up three, three and a half. Four, so I want to read that's really well, they go down three or four as well. So they're not like dead. Yeah. I need to read to you while we're while we're on the subject of kind of this idea. Um uh, da, da, da. this is from luckily it's it happens to be from today. Uh my Warren Buffett project, which we will talk about later, not on this pod. Um so Buffett is talking about in his letter, this is the 2022 letter, by the way, 
Uh, mm-hmm. He's talking about he's talking about his fifty eight years managing money, right? And what's so interesting about this is he's just like, yeah, we never sell, blah blah blah. He's like, we've had a few home runs, right? Coca Cola and American Express, and I'll give you the exact numbers. Uh, Coca Cola they put in they put in one point three billion into both of those about the same year in nineteen ninety four. Coca Cola yeah. went from paying dividends to them of seventy five million dollars in ninety four to $704 million today. So they 10X the amount of dividends without any capital appreciation, 10X the amount of dividends, um, right? Two years of dividends pays for the entire investment. Amex uh, was about the same. They went from doing 25 billion, uh, sorry, uh, no, it's not. uh, Where's the Amex one? Sorry. Uh, 41 million in dividends to 302 million in dividends. Um, mm. it's like, those were huge. And he's like, also though, we made these really stupid investments. We bought a 30 year treasury bond in 1994, right? That's just now coming due. No capital sure. appreciation has paid us call it 80 million, you know, every year. So way, way less on the buyout. And he was like, but if you look at it, uh, that now represents 0.3% of Berkshire Hathaway's net worth. Whereas these other ones represent 5%. And he said this, the weeds weather away insignificance as the flowers bloom over time. And that's the interesting thing about, you know, the, Mm. the, you can make bad investments if you're holding for the long term because all you need is two or three of them to really flower and bloom and all the weeds just kind of put away and become such an insignificant part of the net worth that it's like, who cares anyway? Um, Yeah. So it's very interesting, the different style and approach. Whereas I don't think you get that in those quick trades, you know, you almost have to have, it's almost like people are that product in the quick trades. You got a handful of people that you want to be quick, quick in and out traders for you at a fund. Um, four of them are going to end up being mediocre average for their whole life or below average. And one of them is going to blossom so much that over the long term, the one who just kills it just totally overcompensates for everybody else who sucks. But I would, I would point out that like the investments that, they do aren't like terrible investments like they're weeds compared to the flowers and then they fade away they're not like going to zero on these types of investments are you talking about buffett's investments yeah i thought you were talking about Berkshire. had some go to zero yeah Uh, they've had companies that's good investments go to zero but they just hold it that's a different take than you know vc Saying like, oh, we're going to invest in a hundred startups, and we need one of these to reach ten billion dollar status, and then that'll a hundred x our investment into that, and that kind of makes all the rest of these basically, if half of them are subpar, fine. Half of the the rest go to zero, and they that's how they do it. Right. Yeah, that's way different for sure, because they almost have a guarantee that the companies they're putting money into are going to go to zero. Right. If a company's gone to zero under Berkshire Hathaway or it's just kind of piddled away like like Berkshire Hathaway, the textile company, um, it's on it's on accident. It's like, oops, we accidentally misjudged that one. It's not like we're going to throw money into a million things and most of them are going to go to zero. Uh, so you're right. Sure. It is a way different approach. Um, yeah. And the VC ones, it's like. They're not even weeds, man. It's like, we're just going to throw a bunch of seeds out and hope one of them becomes a flower or becomes something. Uh, mm-hmm. 
So they're almost a step before. And that one is way sketchy. Uh, definitely sketchier than even like, I would prefer, I would prefer to run a fund that's just a day trader fund and has a bunch of day traders just trying to go at it over that for sure. A lot of people do. Yeah. Yep. And that's, that's kind of the makeup. No, that's, that's what I'm saying is, I mean, they're just Berkshire Hathaway is just way more careful with the investments and they'll take the long-term value investment approach. Way careful. But it's funny that they just still only have a handful of winners. Yeah. Right. What, like, what would you say? What percentage? Five, 10% are just great winners. I'm pretty sure he says like 10 to 12 over their entire investment career experience. Right? Okay. And they've got a couple of lucky get outs, right? US Air was a company that they put a ton of money into that luckily they somehow got out with their investment back before it just went away. And Solomon Brothers, same thing. You know, like they've had a few lucky breaks too on the other side where it's like, that was a big investment that could have gone to zero and you would have been really screwed. But yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, there's luck in there, but But, 10 to 12, right? 10 to 12 flowers and everything else. They own 80 companies ish right now um outright and they've had the ownership of plenty more than that over time so yeah 10 to 12 work out well it's interesting and then i mean it's hard to compare it to a sequoia capital right like a normal vc firm i'm talking is if you get a one percent success rate which is oh it's 100x yeah you you're you're the best thing that's ever happened in terms of returning an investor's money but I would imagine that a Sequoia Capital could be just so talented or just, you know, what's the right word? They're so big that the best types of startups will know that name already. And if it's a phenomenal product and they've got the best team and the connections, then they can go to a Sequoia Capital who could lead the seed round. And then that seed round, yeah, like your Airbnb, your Uber, like Sequoia was always first or early, right? Exactly right. And then it's, they're getting, I got to think, like way more than 1%. Um, they, well, that's because it's self-creating. They reach a point, you're exactly right. They reach a point where they have so much capital base and so much money they can throw at things that they just won't let you fail. We put mm-hmm. money in you, you're struggling, pivot. Here's more money, right? Like, like whenever you get those big VC investments, that's why all the other VCs start coming after you and want to get invested with you because there's a bunch of tiny VCs that'll put out money and they don't have enough money in the back end. If you fail, they just got to let you fail. The Sequoias of the world, they got more money. So yeah, they're way yeah. better percent because if one of their guys starts to go under, they're like, well, we have a network of a ton of investors. We'll just go raise more money for you. And yeah, it's fine. So yeah, there is like an economies of scale there for sure. Um, tiers, tiers of VCs. Yeah. First level, second tier, third tier. All right. There's a blow up on Twitter the other week of there's this girl that uh, super successful for her, her age and where she's at, but has her own VC firm. And the founder of Open Door, like, replied to one of her tweets of like, yeah, we just, um, I can't even remember what her tweet was. But he basically just, like, slammed her. Like, oh, no, she was saying, yeah, I can't, I'm not finding any founders to talk to in Miami. 
And this guy that founded Open Door, what's his name? Kevin Keith Raboy or something like that was like, yeah, they don't want to talk to a third tier VC. Like on Twitter and uh, public and the, they've apparently met each other and stuff. And then everybody, Sam Parr, a ton of these people just like reply to his tweet. Like you asshole, <laughs> what are you doing? What? And just all came to her defense and she was a brilliant with it. She was like, Oh, I'm going to spin this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just start printing merch hoodies and hats that just say third tier VC. And she put a little Shopify thing together. And I don't Is this know the girl that we had like seen on TikTok and stuff that was putting together a VC fund? It's got to be the same girl. You know what I'm talking about? You had sent me your stuff mm. making TikToks about how to be a VC. Yeah. Yeah. That girl? She's doing yeah. a really good job. Uh, good media. for her, man. Good for her. Because you're exactly right. And that's exactly what it is, dude. You got to climb in the ranks in that space. She started off as that little tiny one. Then she was like, okay, I'll make another bigger one. And yeah, you got to try and grow and not she's go out of business all the time. The reason that this might be interesting, I never thought about this. I wonder because they have met each other, maybe do know each other. This Keith and her name is Nicole. If she just used it as a stunt and she was like, hey, say this. Do that. Yeah. Uh huh. And then you're going to get a bunch of hate. Which I don't know why he would do that. It would just turn it. Yeah. I don't think it could have been a stunt. It had to be like. Those things are stunts. It's what Jake Paul brother. No. Like that. You don't don't say that. Like to me, he's just, there's no win. Like she can't pay him enough money. Dude, he. She can't give him equity. She can't give him equity in the fund. That now is going to have a bunch Mm. of people coming after it to hit it. Mm. Do that. It would get the fund all kinds of great people to come into it. Yeah, and then he comes back as like, "Oh, it's an apology. I've now invested into." It's a no-brainer, dude. We should do that. Let's get as much hate as we can, and then we'll be like, "Hey, in response for this, it'll just cause a ton of things online." Did you say Uh, that already on your diary that it was a bunch of hate on TikTok that was blowing you up? A bunch of like rude people. Oh yeah, no, that's. That's the biggest thing to the social media algorithm are just like comments. Um, So it's not just views. It's not just likes. But if people comment, that is the biggest thing. So if you make a TikTok and you mispronounce something on purpose, or if you do some math and you get the wrong answer on purpose, or I don't know, you say the wrong thing, people will comment and be like, this guy. Don't you mean blah, blah, blah. And then people will come to your your defense too and like. Well, yeah, but then you'll have a hundred people say the same thing and they think they'll be original. But if you have a hundred people commenting, like Twitter, TikTok, they're not reading the comments. They're just like, oh, someone commented, promote, 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 right? And that's kind of it. But yeah, with this guy, in this guy's case, that's a, it it may have very well been like a really good stunt to be like, hey, she's good at social media, dude. We already know it. She started off doing it. She's good at it. That's it's a skill set, and she knows that as a VC, her biggest advantage is being able to get her name out there so that people will come to her. That's what VCs got to do. Like that's the job of a VC running a VC fund is to get your name out there so people will come 
take money from you. So yeah, a bit high probability. It was a stunt high probability. Dude, uh, I think so too. We, we got to work on this because what would blow up in her face is if it actually gets proven that it was a stunt, which there's, you know, sign NDAs and all sorts of stuff. Might blow up in her face, you know. but now people know her name. More people know who she is than don't. Well, yeah, but that's very negative attention to be like, oh, this was a stunt kind of a thing. Well, and still, I don't know. Like I but, said, it's the Jake Paul playbook. Everybody says that his crap stunts, that he, you know, his boxing matches aren't real or whatever. And it just fuels the fire. It keeps people talking. He's printing millions, man. He's doing something right. So we should be doing something like that, but you got to get somebody on board who's big to be like, to do, you know, or to, to do something to them and then reply to it or whatever it is. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta get it out there. Um, So you got to think it through. And I bet she's been thinking about that for a while. I bet she just launched the second, second fund. You know, she's been talking about doing a second fund and putting it together. No, she just she just closed the fund. She just closed her second fund like a few so months she ago. She just closed funding, which means she's now looking for people to buy. Yeah. yeah she just, she's like just, talking to founders in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of it. And now she gets a lot of attention. And then these cool people in Miami or Austin or San Francisco. Yeah. We'll reach out. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, this is good. Yeah, just write it down in the list of a thousand marketing techniques that we need to try. It's pretty good. In my opinion, it is. We need to go after an RIA, a big one. (laughs) We need to go after Vanguard or something. No, we just need Fidelity or Schwab to tweet at us. Like you guys are terrible and bunch of idiots. Yeah. I don't know, but something that that's an extreme example. We'll find something. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's such a good marketing. Creating controversy is huge. Yeah. And then she, I mean, she didn't need the money from like printing shirts and hats, but I guarantee you she got at least a hundred orders. Let's look how good she is. We are talking about her for free on our podcast. And we've talked about her for free before, I'm pretty sure. And we are not involved in the VC space and we both know who she is and have seen her. She is a genius marketer. Genius marketer. very smart. If she wasn't in the VC space and she was in the like e entertainment, she would be the female Jake Paul or the female Logan Paul. Absolutely yeah. genius. We know her and we don't have any idea who she is or anything. We just know. Yeah, I can't find her on Twitter. I don't know. But year anyway, of, I bet year she's of, year of content. This is exactly people gotta know you, dude. People gotta know you somehow. Yeah. Um so anyway, I've got a breakdown, company breakdown, and then we can wrap up with greatest uh, segment of all time. Cool. Which is, um, oh, let me pull it up. Did we want to go more on people's the Fed? questions? Sorry. Do we want to go more on the Fed or no? I mean, we can. Let's go ahead. I mean, today Thursday, so we're recording this post close of Thursday. And market was up one to one and a half percent and then ended almost flat. And it barely bounced up after touching, you know, where it started today. Up a quarter. Yep. So go ahead. What do you have thoughts on that? I got, I got nothing. Huh? I got, you had other things on the Fed stuff. Uh, they're going to raise rates again, I bet. And who knows? Maybe they start cutting later this year. 
Might be good. No, I, I don't think they will unless inflation actually comes down. And who knows what inflation will actually do? No one does. But they keep raising rates. So unless it actually comes down, they will not cut. And that is really just going to ruin a bunch of stuff. But um, I do have a nice little superhero story for a company breakdown. Um, have you heard of Netflix? I think so. No, you haven't. Okay, cool. So that that sucker popped almost 700 a share. 690, I want to say, was the top in October of 2021. And then 2022 turned out to be almost the worst thing that's ever happened to it. Bill Ackman, um, big purchase. Do what? Bill Ackman, when he made his big purchase in Netflix, a private placement purchase. How much was, did he buy? Like It's like his biggest loss ever. Dude, you, we need to, okay. You keep talking. I'm going to pull up the numbers on it. Need you yep. to pull it up because Netflix posted earnings, a ton of stuff happening. The market turned last year, kind of first quarter, second quarter. But Netflix was one of the first ones, one of the fame docs to actually get blown up. And it dropped in March from March 29th to end of April. So over a month, it went down 56%. Do you have that bill, Ackman? Netflix did. This is in 2022. Uh Uh-huh. Give those dates one more time. So it was about March 29th to actually, this is a little bit in May. So let's call it May 11th. It went down 57 and a half percent. Can we, can we go, can we, before you go on your thing, we, this, I have the numbers ready. Yeah. In, I mean, January, in January of 2022, Bill Ackman bought $1.1 billion worth of Netflix shares, 3.1 million shares. And then he sold them through April for a $400 million loss. When did he buy those? January of 2022. Why? You don't remember this? I, I wish you remembered this. I, I obviously I follow because no. he's a big hedge fund guy. He said that there was something bullish about Netflix. And he was just like, I'm bullish Netflix. And then he said, okay, I guess I was wrong um, and sold it all. So yeah, dude, you weren't just wrong. That's like one of the worst calls of all time. Yeah. And that timing. That's embarrassing, dude. Well, how, where is it now? So give me this rest of the story. Tell me about it now. Yeah. So we got Netflix that just got absolutely obliterated. But just like with a ton of other stocks and companies that got slammed, it was overcrushed. Totally destroyed beyond its actual value. Yeah. So I don't know. Let's call it. Don't know the exact bottom, but it was like 166 a share is what I'm seeing on this chart from May 11th. If you take it to what it is today, after a 9% day, it is up 93%, almost 93%, 92.56% in less than a year. Okay. You want that in perspective? I'll show you perspective. This is what you came here, folks. This is it. Tell me or give me a guess on what it did. From the bottom of COVID, so March, I don't know, 15th, 16th of COVID, right, to the end of the year of 2020, right? And you had the explosive. They've gone from 100 to 700. Okay, it went up 62%. Yeah, it got one. And in this span, in this span of time, it went up, I kid you not, 
almost 93%. That is the run of Netflix that really nobody is talking about. It did better since May 11th, 2022 to today than it did from March 15th to December 31st, 2020. Yeah, that is wild. That is very interesting news, actually. Uh, Just percentage wise. But yeah, I mean, that is like, it's very, very interesting news. And, you know, it's value didn't get back up there, but. No, 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 no. But it was overly crushed. And for those that saw numbers, um, I'll pat myself on the back here in May and thought, oh, that's a little low. Boom. That's. Oh, yeah. Not a ton at all. Barely any. Everybody was just, you know. Yeah. But good old Warren, when other people are fearful. Be greedy. Oh, man. And in a company like that, that just prints money, too. And there's news coming out. They haven't even rolled it out. But they're like, no more password sharing and all this stuff. And they constantly keep raising monthly rates. And nobody's going to get rid of it. Because everybody loves Stranger Things. We have to see the next season. Yeah. Dude. I mean, no, it's a good business and that's a good time to get in. And I would say Bill Ackman, he bought in January. I mean, he probably had already seen like, this is way oversold and it just like hadn't quite hit. It's, I don't think it was a bad call. I bet. So what was January 22 versus today? January 22 versus today. Yeah. What was the price Mm -hmm. of January 22? What is it today? Uh, Probably vastly different. Um, So yeah, the peak happened close to October. But if we take January 3rd, 2022 to today, down 46%. Really? Still pretty big down? Well, yeah. I mean, look, the market's not back up to yeah. the peak that it was January 2022. Yeah. I'm just going to bet but, you, got, you got scared out of it, man. The fund can't lose that much money and, and not cause a run on the fund. Not that he got scared out of it. I'm just like... I don't think it was a bad call. I think it was a bad time, unfortunately. And Netflix is still a super valuable business and it'll probably go back up to 700 where it was. Uh, Yeah. So. But it's pretty wild, man. So good old breakdown. Love that. Love Netflix. Wish I had put 1000 million bajillion dollars into it in May. Can I throw 2022? Can I throw something out that I don't know about yet, but it's something interesting to look into. Um, stratosphere.io for anybody listening, you should go get an account on stratosphere.io. Uh-huh. They have um super investors, right? And you can see super investors in their 13F portfolios. Um, I went through it last night, just kind of seeing what all of these guys are buying and holding, and it's pretty diverse. But there's one thing that stuck out amongst a bunch of these people: a new addition which means within the last quarter, a new addition, all of them, it was all new additions within the last quarter of BN Brookfield Corporation, an asset management company. No idea what they do. No idea what it's about. I haven't been able to go through the 10K yet, but it is very intriguing that all of these guys, um, I'm talking like Warren Buffett guys and macroeconomic guys and like like all of these different investment philosophy guys all had new additions in Q4 of this thing. And you go look at mm-hmm. it, go check out BN, the stock. Okay. BN. It's really hard to come off on sound. That is boy, Nancy. 
<laughs> Thank you for that. Brookfield. Got it. It is down significantly since right. 2022. Uh, 2021. Yeah. October. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 41% almost, but I can't tell what's going on, dude. I mean, Brookfield, it was upgraded to outperform by credit Suisse, but how much do you trust credit Suisse? Um, so I don't know what's going on there, man, but I'm going to have an answer next week. That is my, my weekly job this week is to dig in, to be in and figure out why everybody likes it. And this is the move. What you do is you go look out, see if you can find a bullish case. Why do you say everybody likes it? What are they doing on stratosphere? What, what are you saying? What are they doing on stratosphere that says they like it? No. Oh no. There's nothing on stratosphere about it. This is me going through, dude. All I did was basically went through 13 F's of a bunch of uh, okay. time hedge fund managers. Um, that Actually, there's nothing unique about stratosphere.io. I could have done this just by going to Edgar and typing in the names. Of but Edgar. we're not going to do that because we love stratosphere.io. Just got to get the plug. Just got to get the plug for stratosphere.io. Uh, there's no way to access 13Fs outside of stratosphere.io. So don't even pretend. Um, yeah. No, so this was just me going through a bunch of other people's portfolios. And the one thing that stuck out was this new edition of Brookfield in Q4, um, Interesting. 2022. So I'm, I can't wait to see what happens in Q3 and see if people are still holding on to it. I'm talking like, I'm pretty sure Michael Burry was holding it as well as like random guys that are always bullish. So like there's, there's a very diverse range of people. I mean, if you bought it, if you bought it now, you're getting it at a 7% discount from all these hedge funds. They took it in Q4. Yeah, I mean it's down seven percent from its low in December. It yep. could even be up sharper. But this where this is where my actual seriousness of being a a actual professional in the space comes in, where I'm like, oh, I'm not just going to go buy it uh, a few shares and just like ignore it. I'm going to really dig deep. The process is dig deep, figure out if you can find a bullish thesis for it, and then compare your bullish thesis with everybody else's. Go find what other people have written on research reports. These other guys. And if it matches, mm-hmm. then you're onto something and you can actually see and have have confidence that what you saw was was probably reality. If it doesn't match, you're probably an idiot just going on the next thing. So yeah. and then go big. Go big. Go big, huh? That could be my All next right. play. Well, let's wrap up with everyone's favorite segment. Um, this question comes from Susie in Portland. Sorry, Susan in Portland. She actually reached out and said, Hey guys, love the pod. Really excited to keep listening to whatever you guys have to say about the Fed's implosion. <laughs> and wanted to know if housing and what does it say? The housing market were to continue to crash. Should I be diversifying my money between real estate and the continual sliding of the stock market crash? Question mark, question mark. So I think she's just asking, what should we do with diversity between real estate and equities? Good question, Susan. Uh, appreciate you listening all the way out in Portland. I got to say, I do think you can find some really good deals in real estate, depending on you know the type of class you're going after. Like, Is it residential? You just want to rent it? Are you doing multifamily? Are you trying to do industrial retail things like that um and then you you know start weighing cons pros and cons of liquidity versus putting money into the market and trying to find assets that way 
I got a I got a longer answer. I want to think on it for a second. Brayden, I'm going to let you go, though. What are your thoughts in terms of, hey, do I diversify right here? Well, I wonder how much money Susan has, because we are familiar with the classic strategy. And this is one that we both have a buddy who has done this in the past. Mm. Uh, buying the SPY, right? And buying gold and and then using the good old broker's leverage, um, right? Brokers will typically let you leverage up to 60% or sometimes up to 80%, I think, if it's like really stable, like gold, uh, 60 to 80% of your portfolio to go buy other assets. And so, you know, if you're, if you're Susan and you have a million dollars that you can put into the market, well, go ahead and put that million dollars into gold and the SPY and then take out a loan for 500,000 and use that as your loan and go pay cash for real estate. And now you got the best of both worlds. You know, you, you got some exposure to the equities and you got exposure to your real estate. So. Um, yeah. But have you seen the interest rates lately on these loans? Oh, they're definitely high. Definitely. Yeah. High. You think so? Yeah, for sure. But the interest rates in a brokerage account are different than the interest rates on a mortgage. You don't have to write a check every month. For oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said pull a uh, loan out of the bank. You're saying pull oh, yeah. a loan off the yeah, take account at the brokerage. brokerage. Yeah, take leverage on the brokerage. Uh, 60, 70% leverage the brokerage yeah. account. And, and yeah, I mean, you have equity slipping away in the brokerage account on an annual basis at some fee, but you don't feel it. And as long as the market's doing okay and not collapsing, you're not getting margin called. Um, mm-hmm. there are things you set yourself up for, but, uh, that's a good way to do both. I, I think always be in real estate a little bit though, for old Susan. Oh, for sure. For sure. Maybe not Portland real estate. Definitely bearish Portland. Um, but <laughs> ouch, man. Bearish Portland, bearish Portland, but, but Portland's very close to Salt Lake city. So Susan bullish SLC, go buy a house there, go buy real estate there. I don't know. I was in Portland a couple of years ago. thought it was great. Yeah. Um, parts of the city. I think I was more partial towards other parts of Oregon that we drove Did to. Did you guys get gas whenever you were in Portland? Uh, I think I was afraid to get stabbed. No, I don't know if we got gas. Um, you know, Portland and New Jersey, well, Portland, New Jersey and Oregon are the last two states that have really crazy employment laws. And that's why they're the last two states where gas stations have attendants that come out and fill up your gas because the gas station has to find something for people to do that they've hired because they cannot fire them. Um, And so, you know, if you go to Oregon, you got people filling up your gas because Oregon has terrible regulation. Um, So bearish, bearish Oregon regulation. Utah. Okay. All right, so this is now the conversion of our entire podcast where we're just going <laughs> to tell you what cities we're bullish on and which ones we're bearish real estate. on. Thanks for the real estate question, Susan. Fed right into it was a good the question. Yeah. It was really good, well tied in. And guys, that's just how we're going to end it. But next we'll week, talk to you next guys week we're going to do Chinese cities. So everybody prepare. Come in with your best Chinese cities. Nope, that's how you get canceled <laughs> somehow. All right, you guys have a good one. All right.